Today we're going to look at the story of Mary and Martha. It's from Luke 10 and on your pew Bibles. It'll be 792. The Gospel of Luke chapter 10 begins with Jesus sending out 70 with clear instructions to proclaim the kingdom of God and heal the sick. He clearly instructs his disciples as to what they are to do when they enter a village or a town. Let us read verse 8. When we enter a town, when you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near you. So I'll read that again. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. This is followed by the story of the Good Samaritan told by Jesus to an expert in the law. Here the focus is on loving God and being ready to help and serve those in need. Indeed, the Samaritans and the Jews were not often friendly toward one another. And yet, in Jesus' mind, to love God is to make anyone who needs our help into our neighbor. Jesus emphasizes this point by reversing the thrust of the lawyer's original question. The lawyer asks, who is my neighbor? A question that begins with the self and then asks who the self is obligated to aid. Jesus reverses the question, which of the three was a neighbor to the man? A question that centers on the man in need and asks who is obligated to help him. If we begin by thinking of the person in need rather than ourselves, does that give us a different perspective on whether God calls us to help? After this, Jesus and the disciples were on their way to Jerusalem, stopped at the house of Martha in Bethany, about two miles from Jerusalem. Her sister Mary lived there along with their brother Lazarus, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. That can be found in John 11 and 12, Pew Bibles 820, 821. Page, page numbers A20, A21. It is very interesting to note that how the recording of this event in this chapter by Luke ties in with the themes of hospitality, love, and service previously mentioned. Sending out the 70 and the Good Samaritan. Martha was the eldest in the family of three. She was a doer, and she eagerly invited Jesus in and showed him the kind of authentic hospitality and service. She was being a good neighbor. Mary sat at the feet of Jesus and listened to his words. Seems like Mary was the quiet thinking type. Meanwhile, Martha became very preoccupied with preparing and serving the meal for Jesus and the group. Verse, nine, verse 39 and 40 from Luke chapter 10 reads, She had a sister named Mary who seated herself at the Lord's feet and was continually listening to his teaching. But Martha was very busy and distracted with all her serving responsibilities. Both of them loved the Lord, that's a given, and wanted to please and serve him. As I mentioned earlier, both of them were quite different personalities and hence their outlook and approach to life situations were different. 
So from both Mary and Martha, what can we learn? Both Mary and Martha provides us with important lessons in discipleship. And we at Ilum Chapel are about discipleship. Our mission is we are disciples making disciples. So what from the life of Mary and Martha can we learn about discipleship? Let's take a look. The first lesson, knowing the Lord and serving the Lord. It's a continuum. On one side, we have knowing the Lord, and on the other side, we have serving the Lord. Mary sat at the feet of Jesus and wanted to learn from him. Now let us read John chapter 12, verse 1 to 3. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Mary sat at the feet of Jesus and learned from him and then served the Lord by willingly giving of a material possession that flowed out of knowing Jesus more. She took that which was expensive, a material possession, and served Jesus. On the other hand, Martha wanted to serve the Lord by using her skills in cooking and hospitality. Certainly there was nothing wrong with Martha's desire to be hospitable. She got carried away with what she had to do. And the focus shifted from Jesus to her. In other words, she allowed her work to keep her from taking time to abide in the presence of Jesus and learn from him. She put more emphasis on serving than knowing the Lord. Service should flow from a Christ-centered life. They do not produce a Christ-centered life. I'm going to repeat that. Service should flow from a Christ-centered life. They do not produce a Christ-centered life. When we spend time with the Lord through regular prayer, reading, and meditating on the Word, He empowers us to serve others. Serving always begins with knowing, as you can see. It always begins with knowing. We're going to see a video that provides us a glimpse of Canadian engagement, Canadians' engagement with the Bible. Okay, it's a short video, but gives us a glimpse, proper research, that gives us a glimpse of Canadians' engagement with the Bible. The Canadian Bible Engagement Study is a groundbreaking investigation sampling 4,500 Canadians in every province regarding their use, beliefs about, and attitudes toward the Bible. Research company was Angus Reed Strategies, sponsored by the Canadian Bible Forum, together with the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada and the Stronger Together Foundation. Let's take a quick look at the video. Are Canadians done with the Bible? Are Christians done with the Bible? These are shocking questions. Did you know that 67% of Canadians say they are Christian? But just 11% of us read the Bible at least once a month. Most Canadians are not reading and not even interested in the Bible. How do we know? 
Canadians have been asked about their Bible reading habits for years. Most recently in 2013, with the Canadian Bible Engagement Study conducted by the Canadian Bible Forum and Evangelical Fellowship of Canada. What we discovered is alarming. Since 1996, weekly Bible reading has declined by nearly half, 47% in Canada. Most Christians seldom read the Bible, and many never read it. Hold on, you say, it's not that bad. People are just busy. If Canadians had time, they would read the Bible more. But that's not what Canadians told us. It goes much deeper than that. People's confidence in the Bible is at an all-time low. Many Canadians no longer believe that the Bible is the Word of God. Christians question the reliability and trustworthiness of the Bible. Over the same period of time, church attendance has been plummeting in Canada. Is it too late to change these alarming trends? Well, consider this. The Canadian Bible Engagement Study found that Canadians with real, meaningful Bible engagement have three behaviors in common. First, they are involved in a worshipping community. In fact, they are four times more likely to go to church on a weekly basis. But they do more than sit in a pew. These Canadians discuss and explore the Bible with their friends. They're having conversations about the Bible, often in small groups. And we found these Canadians have a growing confidence in the Bible as the way to know God and hear from Him. But here's the thing. Bible engagement flourishes only in communities where all three behaviors are pursued intentionally. Are Canadians done with the Bible? The research leaves us wondering. But perhaps the more important question is, is the Bible done with Canadians? There are things you can do today to re-engage your people with God's Word. And the Canadian Bible Forum is here to help. Visit the Canadian Bible Engagement Study website to download the results of the research. Find tools to assess the level of Bible engagement in your own congregation. Browse the resource library and explore Bible engagement resources that are available. And don't forget to help spread this message on social media. So service comes, should flow from a Christ-centered life. Service should come from knowing Him. How do we know Him? Through prayer, meditation, reading the Word which is becoming less and less popular, less and less practiced, because we are more and more busy. Paul in his letter to the Philippians wrote, what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. So again to repeat myself, service, should flow from a Christ-centered life, they do not produce a Christ-centered life. The next lesson for our discipleship is resting in the Lord and confronting to right the wrongs. That's the next lesson that we learn from Mary and Martha. Resting in the Lord and confronting to right the wrongs. Mary sought to rest in the presence of the Lord Jesus on the other hand, Martha passed up this opportunity to do that and distracted and worried herself with the details of trying to cook and serve a nice meal for Jesus and his disciples. I don't think it would have bothered Jesus or his disciples regarding what was for dinner. As he had taught them, eat whatever is placed before you. Remember sending out the 70? Even if they give you a cup of water, drink it. Don't demand what is to come 
on your plate. But Martha got herself worked up. She chooses to cook and serve them well, although there was no demand placed by Jesus on her. Her motive was commendable and pure, but she took on more than she could handle and then began to get worried, frustrated, and angry with her sister and with Jesus for not telling Mary to help. It's a downward spiral. She begins to compare her situation to Mary's and is not content with what she has gotten herself into, leading to more anxiety and frustration. Finally, Martha confronts Jesus in her frustration to right the wrong that was done to her. It's interesting to note that Martha took her frustration and concern directly to Jesus, the one who has the authority and can actually provide a solution. Probably if she had taken it to her sister, it would have been a different story. She took it to Jesus, who could change the situation, hoping for a very favorable answer. We read in verse 40, But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work for myself? Tell her to help me. I'm sure Martha was surprised by the response of Jesus. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. I am sure that surprised Martha. Martha was hoping that Jesus would align himself with Martha's anxiety, understand her situation, and tell Mary, go and help your sister. Instead, Jesus says, she has chosen what is best. Let her be where she is. Jesus saw beyond Martha's pressing desire to prepare something for them to eat as he brought to light the problem. She was trying to do too much. Chuck Swindoll in his devotional writes, when Jesus told Martha that only one thing was necessary, he was helping her to see the importance of keeping everything in balance. There is a continuum, knowing, serving, resting, confronting. There is a balance to be maintained. There was nothing wrong with her wanting to prepare and serve something. She just needed, she just didn't need to go overboard with it. It would have been much better to prepare something simple and easy as there was no demand placed by Jesus on Martha. That would have allowed Martha time to sit and relax with them during Jesus' visit. She also would have stayed calm rather than gotten worried and bothered about things. So keep the continuum in mind, my friends. On one side, the discipleship lesson for us, on one side, we have knowing, and on the other side, we have service. And on one side, we have resting, and on the other side, we have confronting. 
How does this apply? What practical lessons for discipleship can I take home from Mary and Martha? What practical lessons can I take home that I can apply in my life and see my life change, transform, be a blessing to others and not seem that I'm always wired up, stressed out, crabby, although I'm a Christian. What lessons can we take? It's important for us to know the Lord. It's important for us to serve the Lord. If we spend too much of time just knowing the Lord with less service, that doesn't really help, does it? We don't get an avenue to share what the Lord is teaching us. And I'm glad that people at Elam Chapel are serving. We have high volunteer engagement, which is good. Keep it up. May the Lord bless you. But are we taking time to know? If we have, all we have is service, and we're hoping that our service will cause us to be Christ-centered, will cause us to be more spiritual, think again. We'll burn out. We'll burn out. It's only so much I can do. Pastors burn out. Deacons burn out. Church members burn out because they are going out serving, serving, serving. No time for refueling. So both the extremes are unhelpful. The best would be to keep the balance. To keep the balance. We should strive to balance between knowing and serving. And that comes with practice. We have to be mindful. John Piper says, We fill the word of God in the cracks in our schedule. He suggests, fill the cracks with our schedule, not with the word of God. I like it. We get up in the morning, we have a large to-do list. And in that list, there is no room for knowing. And if a crack happens, we'll fill the crack with the word. Unhelpful. We are becoming lopsided. Practically what I do in my life, I have a family and I have many things on the go. Me and my wife have decided we look at what can be taken off our schedule, not what can be added. So when we review, we look at our schedule and see how can we prioritize so that we are maintaining middle ground and not sacrificing knowing him and not sacrificing serving him. Middle ground. What can I take off from my schedule so that the word of God is not used as a crack filler? It's working. It's working. There is peace in the house because we are knowing and yet we are serving too. My children are involved. 
wife is involved, I'm involved and I still have hair. Oh, hallelujah, yeah, right. <laughs> Say that again. <laughs> I hope I'm making some sense, folks. Let's go to the next one. What's another practical lesson we can learn from the story of Mary and Martha? One is resting, another is confronting. Too much of resting is unhelpful. I'm always resting in the presence of the Lord. I really don't care what's happening to the people out there. I just want to spend time with the Lord. There is no confrontation. You really don't want to change anything. You really don't want to speak up for the voiceless. You really don't want to advocate. You really don't want to go out and help because you really want to rest. That's not a way to go for a Christian. Neither is the other extreme. I'm a Christian. I stand for right. Let me go and confront every Tom, Dick and Harry. And Mary, Jack and Jill. Because I'm a Christian. I stand for what is right. You know what happens? We get all contorted, stress-filled, because we're always thinking, how can I confront? What happened to me at work? Unfair. How come that person got treated fairly and not me? I'm going to set that right. The Lord wants me to. Did you check with him first? Did you spend time knowing him? Did you spend time resting in his presence to know him, to know what he wants? No, no, I have a plan. I know who to contact. I've got clout. I can set this right. Well, go ahead, do it. You probably get a different response though, which will disappoint you. So how does that play out in our workplaces, in a church setting, in church leadership setting, with our family, with my wife, with my children? Rachel said I could share this example, so I'm using it. Today morning, <clears throat> Sunday mornings tends to be very busy because I'm finalizing my message, uh, looking through everything is working, things like that. And uh, I take time to pray, all of that. And she gets the kids ready, the breakfast, uh, the bathing, and uh, everything else. How unfair is that? Really unfair. Really unfair. So she tells me today, Bobby, your slider works. Your slider, it works. I applied it because I really wanted to confront you. But then I thought, if I confront you, your message is going to be spoiled. You're going to stress out. You're going to work yourself up. And then everything will be a mess. So what was she doing? She was resting in Jesus. <laughs> this way, resting. It helped. I'm stable-minded today. Praise God for a blessed wife who applies. Amen. If not, imagine the stress I would have confronting. You're always late. You keep everything to the last minute. Why don't you do things early? 
Look at me. I take care of the kids. I provide breakfast. I take care of everything. You do nothing. I'm done for, my friends. I come with a troubled mind. What the Lord wants to speak to me, bring with anointing, has been stolen away. By who? By the one that the Lord gave me to love and to cherish and to be together. So, practical. Think of the slider. That's why I provided the slider. She said, this is really helpful. I used the slider. I saw myself moving to confronting. I brought myself to resting. Use the slider. I want to repeat this. Use the slider. Are you knowing? Are you too knowing that you're not serving? Then move to the middle. Are you always confrontational? That you're hard to live with? Then move to resting. Are you too resting that there's nothing happening? That you're passive? Then probably you want to move to a little bit of confronting because you want to do the right. You want to make right that which is wrong. It works. I apply this in my life. I only try and speak what I do in my life. I was going through a difficult time and I wanted to confront. I wanted to do things that I could do, but I decided I'm going to rest. And boy, isn't that good. Because you know what? The Lord opens ways that are beyond your comprehension. I decided I'm going to know him because I need to serve him. I don't want to be burned out. And it's helping. But it's difficult though. We are always tempted to go this side. Go to the left. Or to the right. But we have to keep the balance. Where are we? Ask yourself that question. Where are we? Take a few seconds to think, to pray and analyze your life. And say to the Lord a simple prayer. Lord, help me to keep the balance. My life tends to be all-knowing and no serving. I back away from all opportunities to serve, but I really want to know you. Or is my life full of serving, but I have no time to take to know you? Lord, I want to rest in you. I'm always wired up, always angry, always frustrated, picking fights with people. Although I'm a Christian and that hurts me, I'm saddened. Help me to rest. Or are you resting with no concern for righting the wrongs, no concern for advocating nothing? Then ask, Lord, give me courage, give me boldness that I can Keep the balance. Take a few seconds. Close your eyes if you need to. Just a short prayer. Place yourself in the continuum and the Lord will help. Today is the last Sunday in the It's Personal Sermon series. We have been learning together through the last few Sundays the various interactions Jesus had personally with people as we conclude this series, take some time to think about your relationship with Jesus personally.